You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Good morning. This is the 3CR Garden Show and I'm Virginia Haywood, a guide at the Botanic Gardens, a member of Plant Trust and the owner of a four-acre garden. With me in the studio are Karen Sutherland from Edible Eden Designs, Penny Woodward of Herb, Garlic and Tomato fame, a broadcaster and a writer, and Emma Hurd, horticulturalist and landscape architect of Little Green Landscapes. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. And good morning. And we've had rain, girls. That has been exciting. It has been. It's so lovely to have rain. And although I will say I was digging in the garden yesterday and when I got below mm, 100 mil, it was still really dry. It's very dry underneath still the snow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I, um, my husband for Christmas was given a, this amazing weather station that goes up on the roof. Um, the kids gave it to him. But How it means exciting. it means that um, I can look in real time and see how much rain we're having on my computer. While, so while I'm sitting there working, I can look on my screen and, oh, we've got another two millimetres. Oh, there's 10, t- <laughs> 10 millimetres. <laughs> That's really and good. I feel like such, a, such an old person because, you know, I should be, I don't know, um, streaming videos and doing all sorts of other stuff. But instead, I was getting excited about the rain. <laughs> Penny, I think that's absolutely sensible. And after all, rain, it's all very well for El Nina to give all this rain up north, but it hasn't been giving it to us no, this year. Yes. Yeah, we've had a couple of well, weeds. We had 50 mil right at the beginning of the month, but the soil was so dry again mm. quickly afterwards, and we had more than 40 mil this time. And I think, it, I think it was a good summer in the... We had that a lot... Of, well, I had a lot of rain in November, and that carried me right through. There was a bit in... In December and January, but February and as usual, autumn has been as dry as dry as dry. Yeah, yeah, but the plants are doing okay mm-hmm. on the whole, um, which is good. Which was the early rain, yeah. Mm, yes, yeah, I found the same thing. Well, I've been going between country Victoria and south of the divide in Melbourne, but yeah, we've had, funnily enough, it's been raining all week up in north central Victoria uh, before, before we had the rain down here. Um, but yeah, we've we've had exceptional growth in native plants up there, and also with all the veggies too. Yes, well, I'm afraid I'm giving up on veggies just about. I cannot beat the rats. Mm. I just find it impossible. Even with your lovely netted I'm, vegetable patch, I'm netted. I have um, tin all around the bottom. I, I've done everything I can work out what to do, and I I can't beat them. I mean the rabbits. You, I can do beat you the not rabbits. Poison them? No, okay. no, because I think if I poison them, I've got eagles, I've got hawks. I don't have owls and things anymore, yeah. and used to. And I'm sure everybody poisoning mice and rats means that all those animals that eat them and birds that eat them are threatened. Um, <laughs> if you do need to poison them, and I, in the end, because I lost my whole tomato crop to rats and I decided in the end that I was going to poison the rats and I've done it really carefully 
that you must use first generation poisons. So it has to be warfarin poisons, not ibuprofen or whatever it is, poisons, because the, the poison does not hang around in the rat. So ah, it well, is that's much important. less likely to poison anything that is going to feed on the rat, whereas the other ones can hang around for days and they do... So when you say first generation, you mean the older forms yeah, of the... If, it's got, if it says warfarin on it, then you can use it. Don't use the one, the more modern ones that have ibuprofen, which is what yeah. we take. Well, we can. Yeah. You can also. Um, I mean, I was buying some extra rat poison yesterday, and I did a quick Google to rem- because there were different brands, yeah. and I had was used to in country stores. And I mean, I'm not 100 percent sure. Well, I suppose I can guess why both of the types are available because one must be a lot cheaper than the other. Apparently, with the first generation types that are the safest. Uh, you, the rats have to eat or the mice have to eat more, more. so it's going to cost yes. you more to get rid of them. But, I mean, the cost losing owls or, or yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I found Tawny's. an owl head, an owl tawny frogmouth head up at my parents' place, yeah, mm. because it would have been poisoned by someone using um, baits in the area. But, yeah, I only use, <clears throat> I mean, they're, they're out of control up there, the mice, the rat, there's mostly mice up there, but... You just, I mean, it would be a major health See, problem. I, we've got traps everywhere. Mm. Like we, we can get two or three mice a day in the house and we've searched everywhere. We don't even know where the holes are. So again and again and again, I mean, they're just out of hand up up there. So, Well, they, there was yeah. the plague, of course, wasn't there? Yeah, and we didn't get it as badly as New South Wales, but it's been bad. So, you But I don't, mind, I don't mind mice, but the rats I just find. Absolutely. Eating all your veggies, yeah. I and I, I inadvertently got um, a rat. In that, that was traumatizing my greenhouse and my veggies up there, and because uh, I was getting rid of some cornstarch, which Penny and I were having a discussion about that not yes. long ago before we started. So some cornstarch packaging that I'd received in the mail, which is very environment, very environmentally friendly, and that's great, not plastic. Put it in a bucket of water, add some, uh, uh, you know, let it um, break down, and then put it on your compost heap, or throw it on the garden, or throw it under a tree, or something. And I left it there and went away for a bit. And I came back and there was a rat drowned in there. So the rat had been attracted to the cornstarch and this big fat rat that I'd been putting things out for and tried to get because it was eating my seedlings and, um, yeah, living in my greenhouse. I, I inadvertently got it with a bucket of water. With so, cornstarch? Well, that was what was in there, yeah. I mean, it was a mistake. It was an accident, but it was a good accident because it was a big rat. <laughs> yes, well, I've, I've found them in the red shed. Um, one of the... Gardeners at the Botanic Gardens has just got a job in well, at one of the Wellington Botanic Gardens and she's got her table stored in my shed. So we went down to consult her table, saw this huge rat. Mm-hmm. And I just, I mean, I trap them and drown them. But I can't... Mm, I, I do that as well. I, at this moment, I can't face trapping them. Mm. I go through phases where I just find it so unpleasant. Oh, it is. It's really, really quite disgusting. I agree. <laughs> and which is and which is why I don't worry about the mice. If I don't have to worry about mice and just have to worry about rats, but there's, the mice are coming, of course, because it's this time of year. There's one other thing. Uh, when I was doing a quick check yesterday to remind myself which particular, uh, was looking at poison brands and thinking, okay, well, no, no, I have to be careful. That's not that's not a good one. But I also found a. And I originally found my information in a book on predatory birds. So it was, you know, talking about, you know, use these. And I thought, well, okay, if this, if, if a book that's talking about preserving and caring about and recognising um, native predatory birds in Australia is mentioning this, then, you know, it has to be reasonable. 
And I also did find an old-fashioned, which I can't believe I'd never found until yesterday, a natural homemade bait. And so it was something, it was, uh, um, now I'm trying to find the recipe. So I could, we could, we could share that one, Virginia. So I haven't tried it, but I did find a recipe for um, flour or cornmeal with sugar or powdered chocolate and you add in baking soda. And it says the sugar or chocolate attracts the rats, the baking soda will kill them after they've consumed it. So that is one for people that don't want okay. to use anything else. <clears throat> so, so let's, yeah. let's say, um, say can that. I, can I just also say that BirdLife Australia, which is a fabulous site, if you care about birds, you should be visiting it anyway and you should have the bird app and be telling them what birds you're seeing. But they have a lot of information about what you should and shouldn't use for rats. So don't forget, just birdlifeaustralia. I think it's .net .au. But yeah, sorry. To no, 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 no. That's, that's really great. Good. That is really. Thank I you. think this is an accidental, excellent yeah. conversation. So could you tell us that one again? So this was one I found online that was. Um, dengarden.com. Combine one cup of flour or cornmeal with one cup of sugar or powdered chocolate mix. So I guess like your hot chocolate mix. Add one cup of baking soda, blend very well. The sugar or chocolate will attract the rats and the baking soda will soon kill them after they've consumed it. I think it's something to do with thirst. and. So you it. just mix all that into some water? No, 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 you just mix it. You, no, oh, just you just dry. use it as a dry bait that they eat. Fill some jar lids half full with a rat bait. I'm thinking large large bowls, personally. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm getting ready to do that one. Don't worry, I'll be yes. doing that this week. Yeah, yeah. we'll report back. Yes. We can yes. put, that on, put that on the Instagram. Yes, mm. we'll do that. We'll do that afterwards. We'll put it on Facebook and Instagram because I think... This is what we need to encourage people to do because exactly. we cannot go around killing birds. No, and people at the very least need to stop using the, 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 um, second, generation. the secondary, second generation. Yeah. yeah. And, and when, when uh, other critters that come into your house that aren't so pesty, you know, like the spiders and, you know, I know some people really hate spiders, but, but try and catch them in a jar and take them outside. Do try because um, we've had lots of spiders coming in because of the rain and I've been diligent in not squashing them, being nice, taking them outside because we need the spiders. So some things we, we need to get rid of and some things we need to preserve. Absolutely. And well, can I just say that if you've got spiders inside, you don't have silverfish. So, you know, and you don't have as many mosquitoes, and you don't have as many mosquitoes. And you know, you really, spiders are a really important part of our environment, both inside and in the garden. And well, people talk about all the time how we should get rid of all mosquitoes. And you see, oh, you that was see, a debate, wasn't it? <laughs> I had that one on OVC. Well, to, I <laughs> and mean, the whole ramifications of what that was going to be like. Our native orchids are fertilised by spiders, I mean by mosquitoes. You oh, well, they didn't come up with that because I think it was a discussion uh, with an entomologist or something. Or No, it wasn't an entomologist, sorry. It was, um, I think it was an epidemiologist and he was saying, well, you know, there could be some ramifications for getting rid of all mosquitoes. So, yeah. Yes, because there, there was a lot of this. Somebody's invented something that should get rid of all mosquitoes and it's an absolutely terrible idea because they, of course, play a role. And one of the roles in Australia is with native orchids. Right, well, if I hear which them having, again, I'll uh, ring them up and tell them. <laughs> <laughs> because we have enough trouble with our native orchids mm, as well. Mm. Yes. This is the 3CR Garden Show. I'm Virginia Hayward and with me are Karen Sutherland, Penny Woodward and Emma Hurd. If you want to ring us, the number is 94194. 
0155. That's 94190155. And you can also text us on 0488 And if you want to send a message that will be answered next week, go go to gardening at 3cr.org.au. And on that, we have one from we had one on Facebook from somebody called Cheryl who planted garlic last year and only got a single bulb out of her garlic and was wondering if she should replant these again. Penny. Okay, so um, if she's only got a single bulb, then she's probably eaten it. So if No, you, she hasn't. She hasn't, mm. so she wants to know whether to replant mm. this single bulb. It'll depend on the size of the cloves. If it's got decent-sized cloves and it's a decent-sized bulb, then absolutely plant it again. But the the mantra with with garlic is you um, plant your best and eat the rest. So if it's a small bulb, you should eat it and buy some good garlic somewhere else. And is it too late, Penny? No, it's not too late. You can go on planting till the end of May, mm. um, and some you can even you can go into into June. But um, yeah, now from now April and May are the prime planting times but your issue may well be there's an awful lot of people out there wanting to plant garlic there's not a lot around um diggers has just put their garlic up and um it it, it's selling like hotcakes so um i would be doing something about it this weekend um if you if you can um one of the sites that's worth going to is australian is garlicaustralia.asn.au which is the garlic association website can you give us that again please penny garlicaustralia.asn for association.au and they have a grower and sellers page and they've got about 60 different growers who sell direct to people who want to grow it that is excellent Um, information so it's a good one to have even at harvest time because it means that you can buy garlic direct from the grower as well and if you buy organic garlic if you buy organic garlic, you will know that it's Australian garlic, which means it hasn't been sprayed with the toxic biocide methyl bromide, which all garlic that's imported into Australia is sprayed with. It also won't have been sprayed with sprout inhibitors. Sprout inhibitors are to lengthen storage so that it doesn't sprout on the shelf, but it also means when you plant it, it won't sprout. So, um, And it will sit in the ground and probably rot. So it may well be, I don't know where our listener um, got her garlic from, but if, she, if it was not organic garlic, if she just got some from the supermarket, um, it may well have been sprayed with sprout inhibitors. And you also shouldn't grow imported supermarket garlic anyway because um, they have viruses, obviously not viruses that affect us, but plant viruses, mm-hmm that are not already in Australia. And if you start growing that garlic, you may introduce a new virus to Australia. So those are the don't do's. Yes, and there's a very big don't do around that on bringing in seed from overseas because tomatoes in Italy particularly now have a very nasty virus that's not here. Yeah, yeah. And the whole Solanaceae family, you you can't, shouldn't bring seed in from overseas. With garlic, it's, it's not seed. It's actual living um, cloves. That you have to plant, um, so you really mustn't bring cloves or bubbles or anything in from overseas these days. It's actually prohibited. So, um, yeah, so so go find someone growing locally because garlic adapts to the soil. And with climate change, garlic is really struggling because it is used to certain conditions, and you suddenly mm. get this super hot day when it's not expecting it. And with turbans, half of them will fall over. Um, there's a lot of side sprouting happening when the um, 
skins on the outside of the clove start growing so you end up with this sort of broom head instead of this single single stalk and once that happens the whole bulb splits apart and you can still eat it as green garlic but it won't cure or store so you know do everything you can to make your garlic that you're buying or that you're getting from someone as good as possible before, you know, before you plant. Good. Excellent. So for everybody, we can still be planting garlic, which is very important, I think. In fact, on that note, what veggies would we be recommending people to plant now? Um, I'm planting leafy greens. So um, I've got a really nice sprouting broccoli that I'm putting in um, a bit of um, Russian kale and um, what was the other one? Uh, some collards this year. So I'm just trying to get lots of leafy leafy greens mm. into my diet and my husband's diet. Well, kale <laughs> is is one of the ones I found really interesting because I've always loathed kale, and since I started growing it about three years ago, I love it. The, the thing with kale and the reason, thing that makes kale taste better is cold. So if you live in an area where you get frosts, frosts actually sweeten the flavour by breaking down of certain chemicals in the leaves. So most of the kale that you buy is not grown in frosty areas or at frosty times of year. If you grow it and you can get give it frost, then it will be absolutely delicious and really sweet and really nice. And I also grow it in my ordinary garden just because it looks good, and sometimes I'm looking mm. at a part of the garden, I think, oh, I need another colour, I need another yeah. shape. Yeah. And sometimes I put kale in because yeah. it, it, I think it, it looks fabulous. Yeah, and there's lots of different sorts, so, you know, it's worth trying some of the different sorts. I was going to mention that too, that, that if you didn't like one variety, but, yes, if, you'd, if you hadn't eaten it homegrown, then that's definitely a factor, I'd say, because I don't think I've ever... I've very rarely eaten store-bought kale so I've always quite liked it, so maybe that's why. But, yeah, there's a big variation in the tenderness of the leaves with the varieties and all that sort of thing. So, yeah. Do you have a favourite sort? Um, let me try and think. These, the softer leaf ones, I mean, the other thing is that I quite like things that grow for a really long time because I don't like having to replant. <laughs> uh, that so, seems you know, sensible, Karen. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, busyness, laziness, I don't know, probably business. But, uh, yeah, Russian kale is so quick and softer mm. leaved. But then and things those lovely pink stems. Oh yeah, well, really pretty. Nice. Yeah, yeah, and not, like also a sort of pinky purpley leaf margins as mm. well, and that's quite attractive. I mean, things like the Scotch kale look really beautiful, but they're they're better for slow cooking. Really, I think like I'd mm. throw them into minestrone or a slow cooker because they're so tough. But then the Cavolo Nero's, you know, the black ones, mm. I would just I'll just call them the black black leaf kales. <laughs> they're quite good, and they kind of like, the plants last a medium amount of time. So they yeah, last longer than the Russians. You can sometimes get them for two years. You know, yeah, they yeah, grow yeah, exactly. Quite, you need a lot of space, but you only need one plant if you've got one of those because it lasts for ages. Mm. What are you growing, Hannah? Um, I'm growing lettuce, which sounds silly, but lettuce mm-hmm. is great any time of the year. Something important to note about kale is it's best eaten cooked. If you eat too much raw kale, it can be quite bad for you. So that's something to keep in mind. So I'm also growing kale, mm. but... Be sure to cook it rather than have it raw in a smoothie um, because there are, there are um, minerals within the kale that if, they, uh, if you eat them raw, they're not uh, bioavailable to you and they can build up in your system and cause kidney stones. So that's yeah. something to note. So, look, it's, it's, so much, it's, rare. it's so much food that you shouldn't overdo anything, really. Mm. It's that variety, and that's what I try to get in my diet every day is a huge variety of different 
things rather than having the same thing in large amounts over and over again. It's like anything with oxalic acid in it, with oxalates in it. So spinach and sorrel and rhubarb and those sort of things. You shouldn't eat too much of those because mm, the, the oxalic acid is not good for you. Well, even in your, I'm sure you are growing many different kinds of lettuce in your solid mix, Emma, because yeah, that's that's the joy of lots of different lettuce mixes available now. As you can get love, even in the one punnet, that's it's so great that that's been available for years now. Yes, having having different lettuce, you've got uh, your cos, your mignonette, your um, iceberg, and, and I do find the rats leave the lettuce alone. That's true. So that that is a good thing. And I'll never grow beetroot again. Yes, they do like the beetroot and they like the rainbow chard as well. Don't they? Rats oh, love hungry rats. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Mine ate all my beans. They went across the top of the trellis and just ate all the tops, all the leaves, and then gradually worked their way down and then started eating all the beans. But they usually ate half the bean. That's <laughs> one of the things. It's, um, and the possums eat all the outside of my lemons and I have whole lemons mm. sitting on the ground. Mm. Mm. I was just going to mention another salad green that I was – look, oh, there, here it is. Um, corn salad or lamb's lettuce, oh, yes. which I haven't grown for years. But and because it's the got, right time of year now. Yeah, exactly, and because I've got access to a sunny uh, garden up in country Victoria, I'm trying all these things that I haven't been able to grow because it definitely doesn't really like to grow in the shade. Valerian Valerianella. Valerianella, thank you. Thank you, So gorgeous little thing, corn salad or lamb salad. Mine self sows in the garden every year. So, well, and I, it, you have sun then. <laughs> well, actually, mine does all right in the shade. Oh, really? So, yeah, and Didn't that's one of the me. things that I like about it. But You'll have to get some seed from Penny. Oh, see yes. If you well, get a shade soil, plants. maybe. I'll dig mm. up some plants for you. Oh, thank you. Because <laughs> they're self-sowing at the moment. They're coming mm. up in odd corners of the garden. But it's a really soft... Lettuce and the other one is landcress, which I really love. Oh, love! I love landcress. That does self seed for me yeah. really quite well. I find landcress quite weedy, actually. Yeah, but I, it's lovely to eat. It is. It's, it's nice delicious, to, yeah. and, and I cannot cope with growing watercress. I just yeah, it's too hard. You need oh really? really? See, that self seeds for me. Yes. Watercress. Yeah, <laughs> but that's one of the things about gardens is yeah. that they're all different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although yeah. yeah. favourite self seeding things. Well, actually, there's a weed purslane that self-seeds yeah. everywhere, and that's really good for you. Um, it's very high in iron. Again, just steam it lightly, and it's really nice. I like to have it with breakfast. Oh, I've never had it for breakfast. Yeah, yeah. purslane's great. Um, purslane never grows in my garden. Oh. So it's something to do with the soil and the acid, well, when you think about heavy clay soil. When you think yeah. about the two different – I mean – Emma is high and in the dandenongs mm. and you're mm. low and yeah. near Persone the sea. likes cooler, mm. cooler conditions. Well, yeah, you know, well, you, it grows like a weed in okay. um, the hot times up there, so it must be to do with your soil because we've got yeah. quite heavy volcanic soil in north-central mm. Victoria and it does grow in Melbourne except I don't have quite enough sun for it. But, yeah, like Emma, I really love it. And actually I didn't know it was high in iron, which makes sense, mm. but it is also really, really high in... Um, um, omega-3 fatty acids, it's, it's as high, nearly as high as some fish, or it's as high as some fish, I should say. So it's really good for the vegetarians and vegans out there who are not eating fish to get those into their mm. diet. We've yeah. had a we've had a text message saying, Google Sri Lankan kale and Ooh. coconut mulung, M-U-L-L-U-N-G. Oh, mulung. For a fantastic kale salad recipe. Okay. There we go. I love our listeners. Yes. And we've had another one from Rosie in Mount Eliza saying, thank you so much for thinking of the birds re-wrap 
poison. Here in Mount Eliza, we have had three dead tawny frog mouths in one week alone. Mm. See, that's just terrible. That's horror. That's, that's a horror story. That's awful. If you wish to text us, it is 0488 809 855. And if you'd like to ring us, it's 9419 0155. That's 94190155. And while I think about it, there is an open garden today in Merbu in South Gippsland at 40 Clear Creek Valley Road. And apparently it's a stunning garden. So if you feel like a drive or you're in the area, 40 Clear Creek Valley Road in Merbu. And the other thing that's on today is the autumn plant sale at the Botanic Gardens in Melbourne. Mm. They, so. have, they were so excited. I gave a talk there earlier this week and they were so excited that they were finally having a plant sale. So yeah, there'll be lots of brilliant things there. It's been there. a long time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And one other event that's the last, last day for this event is the Garden State Festival, which is um, put on by uh, Jason Chong from the Plant Society and the wonderful Jack Semler. Um, it's sponsored by... Uh, Yarra City Council, um, and they still have tickets today to a panel discussion called The Greener State of Mind. Um, it's looking at the role of plants in our well-being. It's with Sandro DeMaio from Vic Health, Andrew Laidlaw from the Botanic Gardens, Louise Wright from Baraco Wright Architects, and Jason Chong from the Plant Society. So that's at 4.30 today. And right next door, there's a beautiful free um, installation by Hattie Malloy um, in the music market, which is at Collingwood Yards. Um, and that's on Johnson Street in Collingwood. Um, and so the, the talk, which is the greener state of mind, is at 4.30. And there are tickets still available today. And you can buy tickets at the door. Fabulous. I only just read about that festival and I thought, I don't know how it flew under my radar until now, which mm. is... Uh, What's well, the first year for it? So I yeah. think it's taken a little bit, you know, um, Jack and Jason have worked really hard to put it together. Yeah, so it looks like it. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, they've got some really good events. Yeah. And then this evening there's a beautiful projection show on. So if you're in the area in this the, evening... Is that in the city square? That's, yeah, that's yeah. Um, in Collingwood, oh, in Collingwood, still in this okay. area. Yeah. Um, and so there's, there's beautiful projections being uh, cast up onto, I think one of them's on the um, the community housing estate, yep. okay. um, and that's on until eleven pm. So that starts mm-hmm. once it's dark. Yep, I'm looking forward to next year already. Thing, it was already too late for me. <laughs> but you yeah. can still go to this this afternoon's so, one, yeah. but yeah, driving again. <laughs> yeah, I understand. But no, it's great for you to let people know because um, yeah, it's um, it's yeah. It's good if people know about it for next year too. Yes, it's and it is good that all these things are popping up, that there are new things popping up. I mean, yeah. it's so exciting to see people taking gardening more seriously. And I'm giving a talk tomorrow at the Kew Garden Club, so which is at um, the Phyllis Hoare room at the, near the library in Kew. So that's at 12.45 on pest repellent plants. Excellent. Another one that I think is important, pest repellent plants. Mm. Can I... Can I mention one more event? Please. Um, so Encouraging Women in Horticulture is going to be having a webinar about uh, growing mushrooms at home. So for anyone that would like to learn how to grow mushrooms, the basics of growing mushrooms, um, the wonderful Tash from My Community 
um, Applied Mycology is going to be hosting it. I'll be opening up the event, but um, we'll be having it online on the 10th of May from 7pm until 8.30pm. Um, tickets for members are $20 and non-members are $25. And you can book via events at ewha.com.au. Give the address again. Uh, events at ewha.com.au. That's the email address. Fantastic. I think it's important that all these things are available for us. Um, mm, we, all lo- we all learn our gardening by doing it. Yes. I mean, yeah. And talking to people. And talking to people. Yeah. A lot of us have done courses. Mm. I did a Cert mm. 4 at Burnley, but it's the growing that's mm. made that Cert 4 make sense. Indeed. And, we and listening to 3CR. And, of course, listening <laughs> to 3CR. <laughs> well, I've been doing this for I can't think how many years now. Yes, I, it's probably longer than me. I've been doing it for a lot of years. Too. Yes. But, yeah. I, I can't remember when I started, but it was a long time ago. I, I came back from Britain and I was a bit lost because I'd been away for 25 mm. years. And I got involved in the Botanic Gardens and 3CR at the same time. And that changed my life. Yeah. Yes, gardening often does, which is nice. And there was a wonderful article on Facebook this week about just how actually the soil when you're gardening is actually mm. giving you mm. things Good. to stop your any yeah. forms of depression. Yes, yeah, indeed. And even weeding, you think you think you're sitting inside and you're thinking, oh, I really would rather not go out and weed. But actually, once you're out there weeding the garden, there's something so lovely that happens. Just every every issue that you might be thinking about fades away, and you're just you're in a little world of your own and you're doing such a good thing indeed yes it's one of my favorite jobs hand weeding which is just as well because i've got so many weeds yeah don't spray just hand weed oh look spraying Mm. sometimes i have to spray sometimes i have to spray when i've got blackberry in the paddocks i just there's no Mm. way i can deal with that did you hear craig on on this show talking about his method which was laying down cardboard and then popping a thick layer of mulch on the blackberries, and and it works. You need to cut them back first. Cut, yes, yeah. yes, that's that's the main thing. Cut them back and try and dig out as, as much, much as you can, and then. Well, I dig them out in the garden, but I find at times I'm lost. Yeah. In the James paddies. and I will come help you. <laughs> Excellent. Um, Vic, Vicky and Peter, who are old listeners, have texted in saying that they've just been to the Friends Autumn Plant Sale, and they've come away with 12 new plants, including Acacia viburnia, which is a native elderberry. Okay. So that sounds excellent. So there's another recommendation to get to the plant plant sale sale. at the Botanic Gardens in Melbourne. Yeah. Good recommendation. Mm. So are we taking callers? We haven't got any callers yet. So I'll give that number again. Our number is 94190155. So do give us a ring or text us on 0488 809 855. That is beautiful. I've actually got two here. Um, This one that I'm holding up, and I have actually sent all these to Liz so you can look at a photo of them. Um, This one is Phyllis Fancy. That is a salvia Phyllis Fancy. It is a salvia Phyllis Fancy, and it is the plant that um, attracts more... Um, honey eaters, into, talking about birds, honey eaters into my garden than anything else. And uh, it has so many different birds feeding on it. It is just 
a brilliant plant. You just the one the mistake that I made is that it's much bigger than I thought it was going to be. So it's actually about a, two meters. Yeah, two meters by two meters by, and if you let it sort of spread and sucker a bit, it'll get even bigger. But so give it room and let the birds enjoy it, and the bees as well. But particularly at this time of year, when a lot of things are stopping flowering, this just looks brilliant. So that's Salvia phyllis fancy. And I do think that the salvias are quite extraordinary in the way they attract the birds. Yes, yeah, but they are only attracting honey eaters. So the other thing is that they, to some extent, they will also attract insects, mm. but, and that will then attract the insect-eating birds. But we also need to plant things that will attract the insects. So some of the billy buttons and the um, everlasting daisies, those sort of things are brilliant for attracting insects, which the small birds, the wrens and the... And the um, the weebills. Yeah, and the white-browed scrub wren, which mm. I have in my garden, who he fluffs himself up and comes at me all the time, <laughs> coming out of the bushes. Um, yeah, you need you need to be feeding insects that the birds feed on as well. So not just the honey eaters. Don't forget the other ones. And the other one I've got here is actually my favourite salvia because it's a slightly hidden one, and I just love the contrast of the almost black flowers with the sort of soft lime green, um, um, I can't remember what they're called. Bracts. Bracts, that's it. My brain wanted to say scapes and I knew that wasn't right. Um, and I just think it's beautiful and it doesn't get really big and it tends to sort of hide down at the ground a bit and it just the flowers, don't you think the flowers? It's really unusual. And it's and, actually quite And they're sticky, sticky yes. Yeah. So salvia, salvia discolour. Discolour, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so those are the two salvias. So I've got quite a few in flower, but I just thought those two. The arrangement of the of the stem and the and the bracts sort of reminds me of Sturt's desert pea it, yeah, a little bit, but with a black yeah. flower. Yes. Yeah. And considering that we can't grow Sturt's desert pea here, it's a yeah. nice it's a nice stand in. Yes. Yeah. I've got a gastrolobium that has a black flower. Mm. It's, it's a small one like that salvia, yeah. and I think yeah. it's wonderful. Yeah. I love a small. Just, but. Uh, yeah, it's one of the. I think sometimes we miss the little things in the garden because we're too busy, and it's one of the things that I've been that I've been trying to do is to pay more attention to the little things in the garden. What I've found with my garden is that I have got a salvia out every single month of the yeah. year, yeah. and I've because my I've got the big ones: Karwinski eye, Timboon, pink icicles, mm. yeah. romantic rose, and they're all five foot, six foot yeah. high, and yeah. they, in the middle of winter, they suddenly just cover in flowers, yeah. which yeah. makes the birds so happy. So the only problem with a lot of the salvias is that a lot of them are frost tender. So if you're in areas where you get really heavy frosts, then they may not last through winter. But usually the frosts we in Ballarat, I used to find the frost would just knock them back, and as long as you didn't prune them back hard too early, they'd come again and you'd still get that nice floriferous period in the beginning of winter before the, you get the really heavy frosts. Mm. Can I mention one from the, for the middle of winter? Uh, I don't know whether it's just because of the way I pruned it, but it used to flower regularly in the, mid, in the depth of winter when it was a bit depressing and grey and this thing would be this hot pink flowers in the middle of the back garden, Salvia derisiana or fruity sage. Yeah. So it's one of the ones that you – I mean, it's fruit salad sage. It's got beautiful – so Penny knows it, of course, but beautiful scented velvety leaves. So it's really nice mm. for school gardens or gardens where children visit 
but adults like it too. But it has these hot pink flowers. Does I, that one get quite large as yeah, well? That's one of yes. the yeah. <laughs> I have one of those and I made the mistake of pruning it back too early. So I missed flowers for the year. So make sure you don't prune it back too early or else you'll miss out because oh. it's a weird time of year yes those flowers. it's nowish yeah. isn't it yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much it's starting they're budding color. up yeah mm. i think always prune after flowering myself i think that's yeah. the safest thing to do mm. and if you don't we've got our first call from jane in montmorency who'd like some advice on taking cuttings jane are you there yes i am here <laughs> i have a 45-year-old rose, which we're moving house, and I would like to take cuttings. It is a deep red rose, have no idea on what it is, and as it's two metres high, really vigorous, and I would really dearly love to take some of it with me. So how do I take cuttings? I'd be more inclined to prune it back heavily and then take the plant. I was just going to say exactly that. No, look, we've already sold the house, so I can't do that. And it it is a huge plant, and I I don't think legally I can take it now that the house is sold. I think that's right, unfortunately. I really don't know much about taking rose cuttings. Um, Look, you can take them. Really, they're they're hardwood winter cuttings. So that's the problem is that you will be trying to take them when it's actually not dormant. Um, Well, I've got... I have actually got 120 days. So um, I can take them in winter. Okay. Well, I would wait until, until winter. Um, and you take them. You take them in the same way as you do any hardwood cuttings. So the hardwood cuttings. Yeah, yeah. They do. They do go fairly well. But then, of course, you, as as you might know, they uh, they're they're, not, they're on their own roots Root rather than yeah. grafted. So sometimes they can be really successful, and yeah. other times not. So I have one particular rose that I have not been able to grow from cuttings, even though I've tried six or eight times. And in the end, I got someone to graft it for me onto a rootstock and do the job for me. Oh. So you could, well, wait, you could when would you do when would you do grafts? Um you you would do it at the same time. So you need to have the rootstock right. and you need to then graft the the rose onto that rootstock. But I would go and talk to a good rose person about it and find mm. out the best way of doing it. Right. Because silky silky's nurseries they 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 might be able to help, mightn't Absolutely. they? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I've paid okay. a fruit tree nursery to do the same thing once for somebody, a client who wanted a particular plant, and I'm not a great yep. grafter, but yeah. So nurseries will do it for you for a fee, and it's it's not that much more than buying the plant normally. Oh, it's it's yeah. worth it. It's worth and it. You it's can a divine take, rose. You can take your gorgeous. own cuttings at the same time, so that you've got yes. <laughs> you've got both. And have, uh, a, have a bet each way. Yes. That, that sounds wonderful. And, and um, look, I just love your program. But this uh, moving house has been such a, an experience of trying to sell a house with a fabulous garden. Um, and I've got Virginia Creeper all over the house. And it really it, it is just soul-destroying of people sort of saying, oh, would you, would you remove the vine? And, uh, you know, people are just not particularly tradesmen are not into gardens. They're not into anything big, green and glossy. They really aren't. It's been soul-destroying. Oh, really I'm sorry has. to hear that. But, uh, and I just sort of wish we could just educate people of how mm. important gardens are, mm. particularly with global warming. But anyway, look, I'll get off my soapbox and thank you very yeah, much for your I help. Think, That's I think great. Emma's got one more thing she wants to tell you. I 
just I just had one more thing. Uh, Jean Newman from Reliable Roses wrote a wonderful article about um, grafting roses yourself and how she does it for her business. Um, you can get that through the Rose Society of Victoria if you check out their oh, website. Right. So I'd, I'd recommend that. Um, so that's okay. Jean Newman from Reliable Roses. Thank you very much, Reliable Roses. Beautiful. Thank you very much indeed. That's great. Thank Good you. Luck. Good Thank- luck. Thanks, Jan. Thank you. Happy New Year. Bye. <laughs> and we've got Rose on line seven, and I think it might be our Rose. Good morning, Rose. Hello. How's it going? <laughs> good, thank you, dear. That's good. Um, look, I've just ringed about two things. I sent um, Karen a photograph on her phone if she can have a look at um, SMSs. Um, and it was from Ross, who lives at Goon Gray in South. The Skipsland, I think it is. Yeah, Rose, the, um, um, the, that looks like aphids. But the, the photo you sent me previously, which I, I thought I'd replied to, so maybe it did get lost in the um, yes, waves okay, of technology, but, as you thought. Yeah. Um, it looked like that was very brown and that looked more like tomato russet mite. But that new photo you've sent me looks just like really heavy aphid infestation. Anyway, maybe Ross might call in. I'll leave it up to him. But... Um, Thanks, Karen, for, for looking okay. at that. Um, I went to the um, propagation workshop yesterday at Burnley, which you advertised on 3CR last week. Excellent. Um, friends of Burnley, and it was run by a woman named Sasha, and she is a brilliant, inspiring person. And it was supposed to go for just two and a half hours, but it ended up going for a lot longer and she was very generous with her time and I do recommend recommend it I do recommend all those those courses that people can um, get into without you know having to pay huge amounts of money and spend lots of time short courses are definitely worth it particularly um, when they're on one subject like that it's fantastic absolutely. Mm. yeah yeah and so the friends real- of the Friends of Burnley Gardens have an Instagram as well, so that's that's good to direct people to that. Does Sasha herself have a have a way of getting in touch with her? Uh, well, I don't know. She's on the Friends of Burnley Gardens page. I know that. Mm. So she pro- um, she probably pro- has an Instagram. We just don't know it. Yeah, yeah, we don't. But we could look. We could ask things on the Burnley. Friends at Burnley Garden page or look out on that for events about what's happening. I'll find out about Sasha's um, contact anyway. Well, that sounds excellent, so, Rose. So, so worthwhile because it's, you know, you can make so many plants for nothing and, yep. you know, green up this indeed. environment of ours. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Dallin. All right. Bye. Well, have a good day. Bye, Rose. Bye, Bye, Cheers. I think that's um, so true. Propagation mm. is the mm. way, uh, and things like your salvias, most of them are very easy, easy. to propagate. Yeah. Yep, which is excellent, and most of your succulents are very easy to propagate. And all the Mediterranean herbs are easy to propagate. Mm. And Tip cuttings in spring. Yes. Yeah. And what would a garden be without rosemary? Mm. Just wouldn't be. Yes. <laughs> and and rosemary, which is now a sage. Exactly. Oh no! Oh, don't tell yes. me that. Thing. <laughs> It's no longer rosemary, no. rosmarinus officinalis. It is salvia rosmarinus. It has been turned it into a sage.
<laughs> the reason they did it was that if they didn't do that... To upset gardeners? <laughs> no, if they didn't... Well, the, yes, but they did it because it would upset fewer gardeners. If they hadn't turned it into a sage, they would have had to break up salvia massively. Oh, dear. And, turn and they half thought, the salvias into rosemary. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good grief. Yeah. And that would have really upset people. I was going to say that it's a fun time to try heel cuttings on rosemary. That's a good thing yeah. to try when you're... Yeah. I like showing people that and, and say, look, yeah. this is one of the few times I'd recommend that you tear a plant, a stem off a plant mm. uh, to, in order to get that little heel on the yeah. end. And also layering. So rosemary's really good for layering. So if you okay, I've never bend, tried a, that. bend a branch and peg it down with a bit of wire and put some dirt over the top, it'll grow roots. And the and other thing... you cut it off and you've got a new plant. new plant. And the other thing, mm. of course, that's very good for layering is clematis. Yes. Oh, but, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. And when I go to Britain and I, you know, I go to the... I go to the you know, the equivalents of Bunnings, I see clematis for sale mm. for four pounds or two pounds, mm. and then I come home and they're $45. Yes. They're not cheap here. <laughs> they're no. terrible. And you can, you can layer them. And I've done that accidentally, you know, because mm. I I've just haven't managed to get them up and they're mm. on the ground. And mm. I assume the native clematis to melt, the ones native to Melbourne, you could layer as well. Then I've, I've never tried yeah. that either. Yeah, mm. yeah. And there's some there's some lovely native clematis also from New Zealand. Oh, I haven't come across them. Yes, similar to the Australian ones. Yeah, okay. and they're beautiful. We'd want to be maybe a little bit careful that they didn't become weedy. I was thinking really that. Similar. Mm-hmm. Um, so many. So yes, there are some New Zealand things like that horrible mm. mirror bush, shiny bush. <laughs> oh, yeah. caprosma. Yeah. yeah. But most of the anything I try and grow that's from New Zealand just dies on me because it hates my summers. That caprosma that used to be just about endemic in old back gardens in Melbourne, and you know you'd come across someone who could pick up a leaf and make a little whistle out of it. I could never do that. that. It was really annoying. Such a shame. Yeah. <laughs> Emma, you've got some plants. Yeah, so I brought along a Stalingia simplex, which is a a little woody perennial. Um, it's from Western Australia, so I shouldn't recommend it too highly, but it has the most gorgeous little yellow button flowers and the foliage reminds me of like a sea anemone. It's sort yeah, of... It's beautiful. Yeah, it's sort of a, a it's highly... Actually, it's a bit like southernwood. Yes, yes, what Penny's got in her hand, so she can talk about that in a second. Yes. I think that that's Similar, a nice... But if you know southernwood, then you'll know Yes, exactly. Like. Um, it's very uh, divided. Each little, each little uh, plume of foliage just separates into a, a new segment, um, and it's sort of a soft grey, a bit like Leucophyta brownii, if you've seen that, um, very, very pretty, and it gets about 60 centimetres high, so good for the mid of a perennial border if you're doing a woody perennial garden. Okay, and this is an Australian native? It is, yes. Yeah. Okay. Where did you come across That's that, Emma? That's from Karanga. Um, I'm not sure how often they get them in, uh, but I saw it and I thought, gosh, that's so pretty. Um, I, I'm going to try and grow it in a linda, which... Let's be honest, maybe That's not. A challenge, I yes. would suggest. I think I might try and keep it in a pot. Mm. Uh, in so you can move it into somewhere a bit warmer. Exactly. And if it gets to the point where I'm I'm recognising that it's not going to work, I'm going to give it to a friend that has a garden that's not as cold as mine. Yes, because I can't see much similarity between your garden and southwest 
not at all but I just had to have it I saw it and I thought it's so beautiful so even if it ends up being a gift for somebody else Mm. and you would have enjoyed that time you've had with it yeah it actually reminds me of a seaweed or something a very very delicate delicate seaweed it's very pretty yeah I'll I'll take a photo of it for uh, Liz to put on on Instagram and it is interesting how many things do grow that you don't expect to grow into in your spot, you know. This is true. Plants can surprise us with their versatility, so I like to push the limits a little bit. Yes. But the other plant I brought in was a Cedrella sinensis, um, and it's it's a I think it's a Chinese Chinese cedar. Um, people might be familiar with them around my area, like Alinda, Dandenong Ranges. Um, they grow very tall, and in spring they have sort of hot pink foliage, Um, but a good time to plant them is now. And I've been told that they can get quite weedy, but the key is to bury them deeper so that it's a bit like bamboo. If you you plant them properly, um, they won't go as as aggressively with their root system. Yes, Mm. they won't go aggressively horizontal. And there are certain other plants that you plant deeper. Again, the clematis is one always to plant deeper than you buy it. And to plant somewhere where you know you're not going to be digging regularly, so somewhere that you're not going to disturb the root system. Because if you dig into that root system again and disturb it with the spade, everywhere that you've cut into the root system, a new little sucker will emerge. So if you're going to plant this, plant it somewhere where you're going to set and forget (laughs) It's a really good point for maintenance that people don't often know that that's something that could be included on plant labels. I suppose people mm. will be thinking there's not enough room on plant labels, but yeah. otherwise just good, hopefully nursery staff are listening who can pass that on to people because I've come across other trees like that too, but I didn't know that about that one. Yeah. But it's like grafted passion fruit, isn't it? Because oh, everywhere don't you, even talk to me you yes. stirs <laughs> the roots of the grafted passion fruit, you get weedy passion fruit coming up. That's a very mm. good point. Don't buy grafted passion fruit. No. That's my idea. <laughs> I happen to agree entirely with that. I think grafted mm. passion fruit, are, they're, they're more expensive and they're a pest. Mm. Yeah, look, the problem is I've been trying to grow the other passion fruits in my garden and they just die in winter. So if you, for some people, if you want to have passion fruit, you have to buy a grafted passion mm. fruit, but you just need to be really careful not to dig near its roots. Or pop it root. in a large pot. Or in a large pot. Good point. I, I used to think, I used to always say, no, no, you can't grow them in pots. I've never seen mm. fruit in pots. But I have, I've, I've, had to, I've, proved my, I've been proved wrong by finding them in a couple of people's gardens recently mm. in large pots. Not They don't get as big, the plants, mm. but they still get fruit. So I'm going to put one in myself yep. on the basis yeah. of that. Good point. About an 800 high. is mm. Having the depth for the root system is, is good. Important. That's a really good point, Emma. Yeah. Mm. We've had some texts in for Jane saying... So many people empathise with her problem in moving, which is lovely. And we've had another text in saying, I have a clematis on my fence. It's been there for 25 years and now the fence has to be replaced. It's 100 metres along the fence and she doesn't know where to start. Well, I would just find where it's... Clematis is always happy to be pruned and prune it right back to the base and it'll come back. Prune back so you've just got two nodes. And, it'll, I mean, it, it's a lot to throw away and it'll be very hard to do. But, but now's a good time to do it. Exactly. It's the time to prune mm. clematis and it will like it and it's the only thing you can do. You can't 
Because when you do pull it off the fence, you'll find there's lots of dead muck underneath It'd it be anyway. Good clean up for it. And also, it's like when you prune a lemon tree back really harshly because you've got citrus gall wasp. Because you've got that established root system, the plant wants to come back again. So she shouldn't be too worried. Just be very sure to shade the root system for mm. the first summer or so. Yes. Um, once once you've gotten through the first couple of summers, it should be shading itself. But um, yeah, they don't like hot feet. Uh, hot feet. Yeah. And remember Jane's problem with the tradies. Make sure that whoever puts your fence in takes some respect of where your clematis is. I was going to say actually maybe with that in mind. A mark out very clearly with maybe even pink paint on the ground or something mm. very very mm. certain that they know that that not to put a I was just thinking with horror not that to put they a stump put in a, a po- mm. yeah a post mm. right where the yeah. base of it was or something we've put little fortresses around a lot of our plants at the moment not just for the deer but also we had a lovely team of arborists come and help prune our mountain ash and they bring down really big branches and they've they've worked so hard I really appreciate how hard they've worked to not. Uh, hit any of our plants so uh, if you do talk to your trades very nicely and um, you know uh, give them the lay of the land they they often will help you with your garden um oh well I was just going to talk about some a couple of the other things that I've got here so I've held up the southern wood before and can I just repeat that this time I did actually um, send photos of all of these through so that if you want to see them, then they are on 3CR. Southernwood is actually one of my favourite plants in the garden. It's Artemisia abritanum. You don't need to do anything with it. Um, it just grows. It doesn't produce gorgeous flowers, but I love the foliage. The foliage is um, pale, sort of grey, grey, um, grey green. Um, and it has this fabulous scent. So I'm just passing this around so that it everyone... It smells can... so good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which, which I just love. And um, it's a mosquito repellent. So mm. if you've got this growing near where you eat, um, you can break a bit off and rub it, rub it on your arms. Um, it also, I always put it in the chooks nesting boxes because it helps to keep um, stop the lice that, that chooks can get. Um and it and it is just a really nice plant to have in the garden. When my kids were little, I had a hedge of southernwood around their sand pit, um, and it didn't matter if they fell over it or trod on it because it just kept growing. Bounce back, you know, it's tough. Um, but it helped keep the insects away from them. And which Artemisia so, is, is Artemisia abrotanum? So that's that one. Southernwood. Southernwood. It is. It's a very or lads. Lads love. It's the other one. And it looks like it would grow well from a cutting. Yes, yeah, terrific. Um, you know, with, as I said with the other Mediterranean plants, it grows really easily. Samples home. Emma. Yes, do <laughs> do indeed. And um, the reason it's called lads love is because there was a legend that if you burnt the leaves of the of this plant and rubbed it onto your chin, your beard would start growing. So. <laughs> Well, that I don't want. I must admit. No, I know, but you don't have to do it. But yes. So, and there's. I've also uh, this particular plant, which I don't think people grow enough. These. This is one of my survival plants. This is perennial leeks. So I just think this is an incredible plant, and it dies back every summer, and then it starts shooting again at this time of year. And if you've got this, it, and it grows in clumps, and the the plants get the stems get much bigger than the ones that I've got a photograph of or the ones that are here. Um, they get to the size of leeks. 
Um, but when you pull out the bigger one, you leave all the little ones and they keep growing. So you have always got leaky flavoured plants in the garden um, right through winter. So it is, um, I just think it's a great plant. So you get that into your veg- vegetable garden and just leave it there for forever? Yes, you don't have to move it. In fact, I grow it next to my rhubarb because the two things need sort of similar conditions. conditions and, absolutely. Yeah, and it, and it's, uh, it's just, a, you know, I've as just, I said, one of the survival plants. That I've decided to make a rhubarb bed because I've got rhubarb scattered all through my garden and the garden's getting old and so it's, it's too hard to get into it. I'm just yep. going to have a rhubarb. I love rhubarb. Yes. Yeah. So I'll make it a rhubarb and perennial leek bed. Okay. Do you make rhubarb cake? I no, but I'm okay. I have this wonderful recipe for rhubarb cake where I, it's actually online, but I'll send it to you. Please um, do. Or we'll I'll put it. We'll put it up on the three um, CR. Yeah, let's put it up on um, the three CR. It's Facebook my page. sister's one of my sister's friends' Aunt Wynne's recipe. So it's Aunt Wynne's rhubarb cake. Fabulous. And you don't have to. It, it's one of those cakes where you just put everything in together, and you don't have to cook the rhubarb. You just slice it up and throw it in, this and it like is really kind of moist. <laughs> And really delicious. So it's got yogurt and rhubarb and a couple of eggs and self-raising flour and butter and you just put it all in together and put it in the oven. Sounds totally wonderful. wonderful. So um, rhubarb. <laughs> this one is calamint, calamint and apita. Now I've got to pass this round again. Um, I've actually only got two. We'll need, can someone break off a bit? I just, it is one of the f- most fabulous mint um, minty plants uh, it is you can make a really nice mint flavored strongly scented mint flavored tea out of it um, but it is covered in beneficial insects and it flowers from now right through winter so it's another one of those really good winter flowering plants so Penny, it's I'm, in the Lamiaceae. I'm very interested because I've got something I bought as a calamint but maybe yep. it's a different species because mine has a different mine's more of a silvery gray leaf and a white flower and yours is really pretty yeah this, yeah, is, no, this, this, is, is, this is the calamint I've been growing for 20 or 30 years. This so is maybe very pink. It's a, it's a purpley, purpley, purpley pink. pink. It's a beautiful yeah. colour. Yeah. Calamint. Calamint is its common name. So C-A-L-A-M-I-N-T. And last time I looked, it was still Calamintha napita, but I think there have been some changes in that family. So it may have, the name may have changed. But And we've also had somebody asking to have the name for the salvia that um, Karen, you mentioned before. Oh, Dorisiana, fruity sage. So that's D-O-R-I. Doris, yeah, D-O-R-I-S-I-N-A. Dorisiana. So I hope that's a great plant, but make sure you've got plenty of space. And I find with that one that it needs water. It's been very good for me the last few years, but during the drought it struggled. Yeah, you're right. Mine wilted this summer. But it does bounce back. It just comes back, though. I mean, mm. you can ignore it. Mm. and Yeah, it, yeah, it looks sad for the day and then... Mm. Can mm. I just say, this is Virginia at 3CR Garden Show and with me are Karen Sutherland, Penny Woodward and Emma Hurd. You can ring us on 94190155 or text us on 0488 809 855 and you can send a message for next week at to gardening at 3cr.org.au. And can I just quickly mention the things that are happening today? One is the um, is in Merbu, there is an open garden. So if you look up Open Gardens Victoria, you'll find the garden in Merbu, which is meant to be very beautiful. 
There is the plant sale at the Botanic Gardens in um, South Yarra. And also in that area, the Faulkner Food Bowl is hosting the Faulkner Garden Festival from 10 till 3 today. It's free entry. They have cooking demonstrations. If you're going to take part in one of the cooking classes, they ask you to bring your own cutlery. There'll be local artists. So that's the Faulkner Gardener Festival, Garden Festival. So Faulkner, F-A-W-K-N-E-R. If you look up Faulkner Garden Festival, I'm sure you'll find the details. And then after that, you can go visit the Garden State Festival here in Collingwood, put on by uh, Jack Semler and Jason Chong from the Plant Society. Uh, they've got one event today um, that still has tickets. Uh, it's called the Greener State of Mind, and it's a panel discussion with some wonderful designers and horticulturalists and and uh, public health people um that's at 4 30 today and tickets are available on their website or at the door excellent can i mention an event coming up that i, I think i've told penny about this i'm going to be doing an, uh, an author talk about the tomato book that penny and i did together with the cookery author okay 2018 yes yes so that's yeah. going to be held at doncaster library it's a um it's in conversation with Claire Halliday, who's running the event and interviewing me about the book. And it's at Doncaster Library on the 13th of May. It's a hybrid event. It's it's free as well. So you can attend in person or you can attend via Zoom. It's at 10.30 in the morning till 11.30. So there'll be lots of tomatoey type questions. But I think particularly she was interested in speaking about the process of writing the book and how that came yep. to be the story about that. So. Yep. That'll be and really Karen, interesting. You have brought in some tomatoes indeed. I have, and because I have access to a large, sunny, open area in north central Victoria at the moment, I'm growing as many things as possible that I couldn't grow in my shady back garden in Melbourne. I've had to bring in some photos, which I will send through so they can go up. This, These are ones that I've been growing from, I've been growing a variety of things this year, but these are some from the Dwarf Tomato, Dwarf Tomato Project, which Penny knows well as well. It's a fantastic, um, t- uh, what do you call it, say, bi-country, dual country? Dual country. Yeah, dual yeah. country or cross-country program that's been breeding modern heirlooms. And so my favourites in this program, I'll leave people to look that, look that up online, but my favourites are Wild Fred, which is, I've had problems with um, fruit fly up there so it's a very thin skinned tomato but the dwarf tomatoes are smaller growing stout plants so they don't need as much staking as the or tying as the larger staking vining indeterminate tomatoes so I really think they're the future quite frankly. Can I just interrupt just for a second tomatoes um, are either bush tomatoes which we call determinant which means that they produce a crop and then stop growing and a lot of the smaller tomatoes are like that. Or we have the indeterminate tomatoes, which is sometimes called vining tomatoes, that get really tall. But what they've done with the Dwarf Tomato Project here, and it's Petrina Nusky Small in Australia, who's this amazing woman, they have crossed these heirloom indeterminate tomatoes, so the ones that keep growing, with a really solid, stocky, smaller growing plant. But that means that they keep growing and keep producing so they don't just have one big flush they start producing tomatoes at the beginning of the season and they keep on 
producing right through the season, which is way better than which is tomatoes. amazing. So mm. they are much better than determinant tomatoes. Mm. Sorry, Great. no, 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 thank you. Yeah, I was um, kind of jumping why, across why they're exciting. Yeah, no, they're, they're they're really, really, they really are quite amazing, yeah. and especially with the whole point that. So many people grow in vegetable, grow their vegetable gardens now and raise beds. And so if yeah. you're using, you're putting in tomatoes that are already going to get to three metres tall in a bed that's 600 high, I mean, it's just, it just doesn't make any sense. You can't manage it. So these are way better suited to, I mean, they do get up to, some of them vary up um, to about 1.2 metres high. Yeah, say, I've had one that got to 1.5, but they don't get up to two, that common. two and three metres. No, yeah. no, they're way yeah. better. But the other ones I've been really obsessed with, which I have a photo because I gave away all my tomatoes when I came down to Melbourne this week. So I had to bring photographic evidence of what of what they are. They're the uh, It's Petrina's, they're not classified as Dwarf Tomato Project there because they're Petrina's, but they're on that website. And yeah, the Gondwana what, series. Tell us what the website is again. Oh, Dwarf Tomato Project. But dot, dot net. Dot net. Yeah. Thanks, Penny. I didn't That's remember right. that bit actually. And so the Gondwana series are very black tomatoes. So they're full of anthocyanins, such as you get in blueberries. So they they have a lot of really good antioxidants. And, but they also have this fantastic colour and look about them. In fact, the plants, uh, especially as it gets colder, all my plants, the leaves are blushing black at the moment. Mm. So they look really spectacular yeah. and interesting. And the other point about the, the black in the fruit is that they have a spectacular umami flavour. Mm. So they've got a win-win-win. I mean, they're just amazing So fruits. these are still dwarf tomatoes. These are dwarf tomatoes. They're, yeah. they're the Gondwana series. Gondwana series, yeah. yeah. So these are Petrina's babies especially. And I'm really, really interested in these. And the other win-win about them is that unless they have a little, sometimes they get a crack from irregular temperatures, you know, you might get, you know, that doesn't happen as much with these because they're, mostly they seem to be medium-sized tomatoes, like larger than a large cherry, Mm. but medium, not really large. But unless they get a crack, they're not getting fruit fly. So this, you know, right next to wild fruit that's getting fruit fly, but I'm having to put exclusion netting around the fruits because they're so delicious. I have to try and keep growing them. But these gondwanas are amazing. So there's gondwana moon, which is a, has a yellow. So it's black with all the colours. So gondwana moon is black with yellow. And interestingly, that one seems to fruit the quickest, the earliest, and it goes on the longest. Mm. So mm. that's been quite good. But there's other ones such as lightning, lava, Rose, there's one for you, Rose, if you're listening. They're great. They're great names, aren't they? they Petrina are, does yeah. such a nice job with naming some of the tomatoes that she's been breeding. But so, the, the flavours are amazing. The the other colours. the other thing is that I find in my garden, growing these some of these black ones, is that the birds don't recognise them necessarily as so, win 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 yeah, win. So it's another win. <laughs> but the the blackness comes from where the sun hits the tomato. So. The part that turns yellow is usually on the shaded side of the tomato and the part that turns black is usually on the sunny side of the tomato. So if you get a particular, particularly shaded one, it may not have much black on it at all. It's the sun that causes the blackness. But the, the other thing I would say about them is you need to get them in fairly early in the season. There are... They're a long ripening... or they're a long ripening group. Mm. The, if, mm. if anything, the moon would be the quickest one. Yeah. And that website was dwarftomatoproject.net. Yeah. And can will people be able to buy them fairly easily next spring? Um, it, it, 
Do you want to answer this? Well, I'm, I'm attempting to save some seeds, but I got my mm. plants in really late this year, so I'll have another go next mm. year. So I'm attempting to supply really tiny amounts, but I can't see so the way I'm going that Pat- I'm going to supply many myself. Katrina is getting older and she's been doing this for nearly 20 years um, and, and without a lot of help. And she is probably not going to be selling seed next year, but she has organised for people like Karen and two or three other seed nurseries to be growing some of them, but not all of them. How can we help? How can, how can community radio listeners help? Um, well, by buying the seed and then sharing them so that all this work that she's put into them, um, you know, that means it gets carried on within the community. And so, a big team of volunteers, and, I forget how many yeah, now. Yeah, well, that, but she doesn't have them really anymore and a lot oh, of them are in the right. US mm. um, and you can no longer exchange seed between the US and Australia. So, it's, you know, Petrina sort of got isolated into the project and she's just kept going and kept going. And Whereabouts is she based? New South Wales. Right. Um, but, yeah, so if you want to get some of this seed, buy some soon. From her. From her or from one of the linked nurseries and just keep growing it and keep passing it around. It, Petrina has very generously given us samples of seeds from the Dwarf Tomato Project to give to people who buy our books, Penny, from they us. Have. From all yes. the, uh, signed yeah. copies of the books from either of our websites and you get two free packets of seed at the same time. Yeah. So there's various ways to get yes. hold of the seeds, but yeah. they are fabulous tomatoes and it would be a real shame to lose those those varieties. So I'm attempting to save Gondwana series and Wild Fred, but I'll mm. see how I go. Mm. And your book is called? Tomato, tomato, Know, Sow, Grow and Feast. I was and waiting to see if Penny wanted to say it with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we could do it together. Let's go. Tomato, Know, Sow, Grow, Feast. feast. Hooray! <laughs> and the, and people can find it on your website. Websites, yeah. pennies. Yeah, mine or, or yeah. Karen's. Yes. And it should be in every good bookshop as well. Yes. It's in many, many libraries too. And libraries, yes. And I'm a great believer in libraries. And we've had a request for the botanical name of the perennial leek. Um, I, it's, it's an it's an. You've element. had it for so long yeah, you don't it, know. It, doesn't as far as I know, it doesn't have a specific botanical name. Do you know? I'm Karen? not sure because I've got mine it's from just, Lindy in yeah. uh, Island Herbs is close. I mean, now I've I've Tasmania. been growing it for 20 years, and it, it's always just been perennial leek. So but, you need to people will describe it just as the perennial leek. So um, yeah, it's not available terribly often, but it is out yeah. there. And I wanted to actually add to that because you, I think you have much sandier soil than me, Penny. Yeah, and. My friends who grow it in Tasmania get really nice, big, large-sized leeks, whereas in my heavier clay soil, mine are always smaller. smaller. So people yeah. shouldn't be discouraged yeah. by that. It's quite so, normal. So it is Allium ampulopracum, which is what elephant garlic is as well. But there's a whole lot of things there that are... Um, oh, sorry, I lost it. <laughs> Emma's trying to find it for me. The, the whole leek family is quite confusing. So I have... My first garlic book was all about leeks and all the other alliums as well. So, And it just says variety porum at the end. Yeah. So so allium ampliprasum is what um, elephant garlic is um, and porum is, allium porum is leek. Um, so, and they're now putting all the alliums into groups as well. So it may well be allium ampliprasum porum group. I grow but, elephant garlic and it doesn't look yeah, like no, that. No, no. But, but elephant garlic does put up, um, side shoots and do, has a sort of similar growth habit, but this one never flowers. 
Right. So I have never seen dishwashers. Me either. I've yeah. grown it for 25 years yeah. off and on and never yeah. has So I would talk to permaculture groups, talk to a community garden if you're trying to source it. Um, you just and But probably online. I have seen it for sale I online. think Green Harvest sometimes sells, sells it. it. Yeah. 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 Since we're talking about the, the perennial leek again, a, another weed that is edible is the annoying onion weed, yeah. or otherwise known as three-cornered leek, yeah. and actually quite nice when you steam it. And um, the flowers are edible too. And the, Yeah, that's the a really good point. Um, so I'm not advocating that you plant it specifically to eat it because it is a very annoying weed, but if you have it in your garden, you can eat it as long as it hasn't been sprayed. Yeah, you can forage it. Yes, foraging, because you see a lot of it's, that. There's a wild garlic in, in all the woods in Britain mm. that so people this, forage. So this one is Elium triquetrum. The one that's wild in Britain is actually Ramsons, which is, uh, I'm not going to remember the botanical name. A couple of people have tried growing it in Australia, but um, they used to sell seed of it. But it, it, I'm sure it would become an, a weed in exactly the same way as onion weed is a weed. But one of the things that we deal with with Organic Gardener all the time is people write in about having problems with onion weed. And onion weed in New South Wales is a totally different plant. And it's not even an allium. Um, but it has this sort of oniony smell. So when you're sort of answering questions from people, there's actually about five different species that are called, have the common name onion weed. So the one we're talking about is Allium triquetrum, and that's the one that you see all over the place. Growing in the roads. Yes. Growing on the road sites. Colloquially three-cornered leek because yeah. it has a leaf that has, has three, three corners, corners yeah. which is, makes it, it easy to identify. It looks a little bit like a snowdrop, but yes. it stinks of onion. onion. So, yeah. I can't believe that the wild garlic that you grow all over Britain would grow very well here because we don't get enough water. Well, yeah, but in areas. some areas you do. I mean, yes. that's the problem. Something that is not a, is a weed down... This is actually something I was going to talk about today. This is... <laughs> these are strawberry guavas or cherry guavas. Oh, yummy. Which are absolutely fabulous, um, except for the stones inside them. I find them tricky to eat because the stone, the pips inside them, and there's quite a few of them, uh, and I'd love to know if anyone has a way of getting them out with, without them out. meticulously <laughs> scraping them out or spitting them out. Much like a locust. Or swallowing. Yeah, but they're, they're smaller. Smaller, So yeah. they're fiddlier. But um, on Organic Gardener, on the um, Instagram page, we had a photo of these um, and saying how fabulous they are. And we got um, comments from from Queensland saying these are problem weeds in Queensland. What are you doing suggesting that people should grow them? I think they've naturalised. I only found that last year yeah, as well. So yeah. you, you, do need to be, you do need to be really careful. They're all over um, Hawaii. They're yes. like massive, massive yeah. trees. And the other one that went up recently on the Facebook was, was a eucalypt and somebody from the US said, what are you doing promoting eucalypts? They're weeds all over the place in America. Then <laughs> you've got to explain, well, you know, this is Australia. but um, Indeed. <laughs> and we're allowed to grow eucalypts yeah. because they grow here naturally. Well, it's the same with agapanthus. There are some places that it's not a problem, but for us it's, here, yeah. they're a huge problem. Yeah. Yes, catering for specific audiences on the World Wide Web is tricky. It's very tricky. But anyway, look, I think this is a fabulous plant and I've been eating them um, and extract, meticulously extracting the seeds. But I'd love to know if anyone has a better way of um, 
dealing with the seeds because I can they're, only they're do it when I've got time. Yeah, they're just fiddly. Yeah. And they're very, very high in vitamin C, so, again, that's yeah. a, it's a, but they're fabulous, good snacking fabulous place for flavor. kids in so the garden. So even, even if you remove most of the inside, which you have to do if you're going to flick out the seeds, um, just eating the skin is really nice. I, I, so love I, I think So tell great. us again which one they are. This is strawberry guava. Or oh. ch- or cherry guava, Cidium, Cidium Catalinianum, Catalinianum, mm. yeah, excellent. So Cidium is P S I D I U M. They grow really well from cutting. And it's a small too. tree, and it's covered in fruit at the moment. Excellent. And they make so quite a good beautiful. low hedge. You can keep them yeah. to you can trim you know, them. Yeah. Meters high. As long as you're not in Queensland. Yes. yes. Just or New, or New South Wales. Northern New South Wales. At one other point, someone gave me some that they'd got from their garden the other day and they were real. They were the size, of, I don't know what they'd done to them to get them that small because usually I like them the mm. size of yours, Penny, which were like a small golf ball maybe, a bit yeah. smaller than a golf no, ball. No, it's smaller than a golf ball. But they can, I've seen them as big as a golf ball, say. Yeah. But the really small ones that were size of the size of large blueberries, they, yeah. the seeds hadn't developed very much. Okay. So I don't know how you do something Maybe terrible pick, to them yeah. so that they stay really small and ripe yeah. and small. But well, they if, didn't if have they don't seeds. get water, then, yeah, mm. then they can be and from smaller. Anne from Northcote has rung in and has a question about bamboo shoots from her next-door neighbour. Anne, are you there? Hello, good morning. Good morning. Um, yesterday at the market I saw bamboo shoots. So it just encouraged me because I've got some rather big ones that are pushing the fence and I needed to um, cut the tops off. And I thought, well, I can just harvest the shoots as well as um, cut the little buggers off the fence. So um, I just wondered if anyone's got any tips on cooking them. Okay, so you do need to be a bit careful with bamboo because there are so many different varieties and cultivars. Yes. Um, And I would not eat the bamboo until you have found out what which one it is because there are specific um, species that are good for eating um, mm-hmm. and I don't think they're the ones that spread readily in Victoria. No, I've okay. never tried doing it either. Because they yeah, can they're... be quite high in, um, I can't remember which one it is. Uh, Just toxins. Yeah, there. toxins, particularly if they, if they start greening. So it's a, it's a really tricky one. I, I actually wouldn't be eating them yeah. without getting further advice um, and and identifying what species you've actually got. Okay. It's a bit like Sorry alopecia penny. A, some are taro, yeah, some are yeah, good and like, some are yeah, not suitable taro. for eating. Yeah. Mm. And there's also notes to say that even when you do find the specific ones that are edible, they, they need specific preparation, so perhaps yeah. boiling twice and, and yeah. yeah, so it's, it's I've quite... read a little bit, but not knowing what they are or quite how to treat them, because they when I t- cut them, they've got um, like a powdery little. It's a bit of a skin irritant. Yeah. Ew. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't um, be eating them if you if it has that effect on you and on your skin. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, good. Thanks, so, ladies. I think that probably seals the deal, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Green waste, feed the worms. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Lovely. Thank Thanks. you. Thank bye. you. Bye. 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 And of course, on that. At the moment, we have the same problem with mushrooms. Mm. I mean, there are mushrooms that are edible and there are mushrooms that will kill you. Yes. And you have to recognise that just because you think it looks like the one you bought in the supermarket, it doesn't mean it is. No, exactly. And, yeah, mm. don't don't forage your own mushrooms now because more and more there are... Um, the, 
the the poisonous ones are spreading further into areas where normally you might think. I mean, I can remember going mushrooming on paddocks in the Western District when I was working out there and collecting my own mushrooms. But apparently more and more some of the things that we shouldn't be eating and look really like mushrooms are now taking over in some of those areas. So you just, unless you're going with someone who knows what they're doing or you have a really... Um, you know, you've learnt about one particular mushroom, um, then then don't. And this this course that encouraging women in horticulture, you can grow your own mushrooms so that you don't have to go out foraging them. That's but, a better idea. Yes. And we and we regularly have Greg Boulderston from Macedon on the show, and he does know his mushrooms. Yeah. And he is the sort of person you need to speak to if you yeah. want to. And Alison Puglio runs really good courses as well, and she'll take you walking and show you all the mushrooms. And mm. they're all happening now because the mushrooms are around mm. now. So, yeah, it's worth exploring, but don't go and pick your own. Without an expert with you. Mm. So what other autumn jobs do you think we have in the garden at the moment? Can I mention a plant that I just learnt yesterday? Not so much a job, but just something that looks really pretty in the garden at the moment. And, look, I have one... Well, now that I'm, you know, touching it all, not very COVID-friendly, but <laughs> one little cute little fruit. So this is a very hot pink. I can I can send a photo of the plant and the fruit. I went to a local nursery in Coburg yesterday and I, I, I said to them, what's that beautiful lily pilly outside? And I thought Emma might be interested for her landscape architecture work. So this is something that's hard to find, a nice-looking plant that also has really good fruit. Because years years by years gone by, I've rung up nurseries, growers, and asked them which lily peelers have good fruit that aren't too big a plant. They just don't have any idea because all they know is about things that are good for hedging, and they're not caring about the fruit. So this one is a Syzygium cascade, and when you Google it, it has the most beautiful pink, fluffy flowers, large, fluffy flowers. So pretty flowers, very hot pink fruit, and big clusters of the fruits mm-hmm. as well. And very tasty because it's a ryeberry cross, and it's some—it's a kind of a fattish plant, but really, uh, really lush looking. As in, it's a you know not so much of an upright one, but it's about—I think it gets to like two by two by two or three by three that kind of size factor. So quite easily pruned smaller. And I'm going to try growing it in a pot because I think it'd be lovely for a shady spot to demonstrate. Well, this is what these fruit taste like, and ryeberry which is Syzygium lumanii, is one, is one that's sold the most as a fruit in the native food industry. And this is a cross with Wilsonii. So I think that's why it has such a really good flavour. So that's my okay. really discovery for the... Uh, so are you suggesting we can eat these right Oh, now? yeah, these are really tasty, yeah. Okay. And they also have a lovely pink, fresh new growth. So you've got new growth, nice plant for an understory, um, good flowering, like you know, more spectacular than a straight lily pilly flower, and and with colour as mm. well. So the whole thing is, has flavor. this pinky colour. I just mm. kept thinking about it last mm. night. This plant, I'm obsessed with it now. Okay, thank you for thinking of um, design as well. Yeah. They're just beautiful, like and and sort of a snow white coloured flesh, really gorgeous. So, Not that you see that from the tree, but once you bite into it. Mm. And I bought two pepperberries when I was in Tasmania over Easter. Okay. A male and a female. Yep. So well hopefully done. I'm Beautiful. going to have shady spot. 
Yes, I'm not sure how shady. Shady, shady, actually shady. shady. Never I had, I had one. Yeah, never let it dry out. <laughs> yes, I had one growing in a shady spot, and I then cut down the tree that shaded it, and it died within a few days. Because where I bought it, they had a, mm. a whole paddock full of them. Yeah, but this is Tassie. It was Tassie, yes. and it's probably higher up. I know, I know, had had friends who had property in Gippsland, um, and they harvested the pepperberries from trees in in Gippsland. Um, but they were sub substory forest trees, mm. that, so they were shaded by the really big eucalypts. Um, so yeah, don't put them in direct sun, particularly it, late afternoon. Interestingly, sun. though, because I have had similar problems. I have mm. killed numerous pepperberries even after they'd been growing. I had males and mm. females. I got I got fruit and collected them. I've had them in pots in shady areas and still had trouble with them. And I've had them get. You know, just one day of sun exposure if the sun shifted or a plant mm. got pruned or something and then die. But there, there's some that are at the moment that are being sold. They're the ones under the Tuckerbush label in nurseries. And I was really interested because even up in central Victoria, north central, this plant was sitting in this. I bought it after a while because I kept looking at this plant in the nursery, in my friend's nursery, thinking, that's sitting in the sun. It's not mm. getting afternoon sun, but it's getting morning to midday, which mm. is not anything like I'd ever seen for a native pepper. So... I wondered whether they just found one wherever they're, probably, they're taking the they're cuttings from. They're probably breeding them. You yeah, know, it's to interesting, be, Penny. To be more, you know, heat tolerant. Because I had think. never seen them like this. And it's, this one also, because mm. it had more sun on it, had really good burgundy stem mm. um, colouring. Okay. So it was really, really colourful. Yeah. So I'm going to stem, see what it does anyway. That stem colour is beautiful. Mm. Mm. And you can use the leaves. So you don't actually mm. have to be getting the berries. You can just the leaves. Harvest the leaves. Yeah. Fresh or dried and ground. Mm. Yes, or you could just chuck them into a curry or into a soup or whatever. Very small amounts, Virginia. <laughs> Be very <Yeah>. careful. <laughs> very, very strong. <laughs> yes. And somebody has um, written in saying, Strawberry guava, I have two trees, both covered in fruit, and I simply eat the whole fruit. Pop the whole thing in my mouth, delicious. Don't bo- don't bother to de-seed. So that you just swallow the seeds. So swallow I did the seed. I do I crunch. I, cr- I crunch them. I find them too hard to crunch. Oh, they're really crunchy. They're really yeah. rock hard. But I would say there might be doctors listening or something. I don't know about swallowing the hole. That might not yeah. be so great for your appendix, I'm thinking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> At least crunch. Yes. And another another um, has come in from Susie saying she's just been to the Kevin Hines Grow Nursery at 33 Weatherby Road, Doncaster, where she found the selection of plants absolutely fabulous at around $8 a plant. And it took her a lot of time to hunt through the range to find because there was just so many good things. And being a not-for-profit and with very knowledgeable staff, she's recommending that people think about going to the Kevin Hines Nursery at 39 Weatherby Road in Doncaster. I just at the garden show this year, I was chatting to the people from Kevin Hines, and they've just put a book out to celebrate 40 years. So Kevin Hines started this nursery working with with people with different abilities 40 years ago. He was such a far-sighted man. Absolutely. You know, it's an extraordinary story. And they've got this lovely book where um, on double pages, one side shows you um, what it looked like 40 years ago and the other side shows you what it's looking like today. So it's just called um, Kevin Hines Grow. And if you if you're looking for a really interesting book, or you've ever had any involvement with Kevin Hines, but um, the the really interesting thing is that it's now become the core, the nursery and the the organisation around it, which used to be just all volunteers, 
um, because of NDIS, it's now become the core of a much bigger network and they have something like 50 paid employees who are going out in the community and doing all sorts of amazing things with gardening. So the nursery is still brilliant, but it also has this much bigger program happening, which well, I just think is so good. Well, thank you, Susie. That was yeah. a really interesting addition yeah. to the program. Yeah. And Penny. Yeah. Thank you for that. That was excellent. We've got Ian online, ringing in from Sunbury. Hello, Ian. Hello, guys. How are you going? Good, yeah. thank you. Hi, Ian. Um, that's good. Uh, yeah, I... Um, <clears throat> I've got some feedback coming. Yeah, anyway, I'm hearing myself back in the phone, but don't worry. Um, look, uh, yeah, I've just got a, um, a rhubarb question. Sure. Um, yeah, I've got... I just You just prompted me with your rhubarb cake, that's all. I thought, yeah, I've got to put some rhubarb in at some point. Um, yeah, um, I've got two possible spots I, I might want to put some. One would be in a little raised bed, um, and it would be... In the sh- in the shade most of the time. Can you grow rhubarb in the shade? Um, I I, I think you need half a day's sun. I, right. I think complete shade uh, it would struggle. You'd get you'd get rhubarb, but you'd get skinny stems. Do you agree? Uh, I um I've done because I, I have a really shady garden and you know, partial sun is okay for me. Yes, yeah. you pr- look, you probably get better stems in the sun, but I think it's fine in semi shade yeah. if you've got adequate <clears throat> water. Yes, it needs yeah. it needs good water. It needs lots of food um, to get the good stems. And um, yeah, I, yeah. I, I think if it got morning or afternoon sun, it would probably be fine. It would get afternoon sun in the uh, spring and summertime. Yeah, but not not in the winter at all. Uh, look, I ne- never say never with plants, yeah, and, and rhubarb's pretty tough, um, so I'd yep. give it a go. And you can always, if it doesn't work, you can always dig it up and move, move it. Move it, because it is easy to separate and to move. Yeah. Yes, yes, it is, yeah. It um, is It other... is a hungry plant, though, so it, it, it would yep. appreciate some poo. Poo, yes. Oh, well, I've got, I've, I've got my girls out there. They, they, they provide me with plenty of that. Yes, um, excellent. Uh, yes. Um, <clears throat> but uh, uh, the other spot would be in a corner of a, um, the garden, uh, up against the sort of fence corner, um, and uh, it would get it's an easterly-facing position. It would get easterly sun and, mid, and a bit of midday sun and then shaded in the afternoon. Um, I'd go for that spot. Yeah. That, that works for me. Yeah, yeah. But just yep. make sure that you can feed it well and you can keep the water up to it. Right, Yes. No worries. Um, and the other thing is I've got a couple of compost bins um, nearby. It's it's a good idea to plant it around a compost bin, I've heard. Is that correct? Um, if your compost bin is on straight onto the ground, yes. Yes. The bin's going to be feeding stuff straight into the soil around it. So yeah, can't yeah, do any right. harm. Yeah, well, my mother did that once. She put rhubarb next to a, a compost bin. Uh, and she had rhubarb in the, other, in the other parts of the garden. The rhubarb that was next to the compost bin was absolutely huge and beautiful. Yep. yep. <laughs> so, and it remi- yeah. remi- reminds you to water your um, compost bin from time to time in the summer too, if you've got something yeah. growing near it that needs to be watered. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Even but, um, some gardeners advocate um, if they don't have a compost bin or if you don't have room for a compost bin to bury your food waste in your veggie patch fairly deep down and then that will also provide nutrient over a slow release yep. over time. Yeah. 
Yep, yep. Now I've got I've got two 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 big compost bins, but um, yeah, no worries. Oh, that's great. Um, um, yeah, it's just I bought a little from 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 Aldi. I bought I bought a little um, uh, raised bed years ago, and uh, I still haven't used it yet. And it would be great for a, bit, a couple of things of rhubarb. Um, so maybe I could put the rhubarb straight in the ground, or um, um, put it in the uh, raised bed. What would you prefer? You'd probably straighten the ground would be better, would it? I'd put it straight in the ground and I'd plant lettuces in your raised bed. Mm, I'd agree, Penny. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're fair great. Enough. Raised beds are wonderful for lettuces. They're just, you know, you get... Yep. You, yeah. It's a great yep. way of growing lettuces. Mm-hmm. No worries. Now, the other question was... Um, I've got a mandarin tree that's... Um, look, it's kind of... I've got, a, I've got a, a, a lemon tree that's going gangbusters. It's doing really well. But I've got a mandarin that I put in at the same time, which is which is sort of not doing much. It's uh, it's slowly growing. But um, one thing in during winter, I think it's getting wet feet in winter. Uh, I put in a raised bed, um, but I made the mistake, a bit of a rookie mistake, I made the mistake of, out here, of course, being Sunbury, you've only got about two, two, two or three hundred mil with the most of topsoil, and then you've just got hard clay underneath. Um, it is on a slight slope, uh, but... I made the mistake of digging into the clay a bit, and I think I might have might have created a bit of a sump. Yeah. And I built everything up. I, I put I put um, I put a board around, timber board around, and then I I built the soil up and had it nice and you know um, up above the the timber. But in time, it's just sunk down. You know. Mm. Um, now I'm just wondering whether I can do something about it, like putting. Um, if I could take, if I could, if, if I were able to take it out again and then re restock the the, the the sort of bed and and maybe put some dig it out and put gravel down the bottom or something like that. What, am I able to do something like that, or am I just sort of stuck with what I've got? Oh, look, it's one of those situations where you can try. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the worst that can happen is that you lose it, and you might lose yeah. it anyway if it's um, if it's left sitting where it is. But I, yeah. I think the thing that I would probably try right at this moment is we all tend to underfeed our, our citrus, particularly right. particularly the ones that are like the mandarins. So that it may be that it just needs a bit more feed. Mm. Uh, I tend to feed my citrus about three or four times a year. I don't. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I sort of vary the feed. I'll, I'll give them uh, chook pellets one time. Um, um, what's the name? Compost uh, the next, yep. and then you know uh, citrus food the next time. You know, just rotate yep. those types of food that I give them. Um, um, so I mean, it, 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 I get the, the leaf curls during the winter, but not in the summertime. Can, can I? Um, I've got soil that's similar to you, Ian, in the northern suburbs of Melbourne, and mm. so I've had situations like that. Uh, in landscape jobs in the past and when I've dug down too deeply or when the, if it's been advanced trees sometimes. <clears throat> in one case, we had to dig the trees up and we had to you could do something like this and you might be able to get away with doing it. I don't know what's around the bed, but we dug yep. drainage channels and it was during rainy periods because, of course, then we've had a really long period, many, many years until the last couple of years where we didn't get much rain, so it wasn't an issue. But mm. we dug, dra- instead of having gravel underneath the plant, I would like to have gravel from somewhere between the middle or the bottom of the root system heating away and mm-hmm. uh, lower than the – so four channel four, in four different directions or at least three 
but four preferably away from the roots. But I don't know, what, what have you got around the tree, like say just, 30 centimetres just, from the trunk or 40 centimetres from the trunk? Um, well, it's, like I said, it's in a, in a little raised, it's in a, it's a, I've got a timber board around it, um, which is about a metre square. Um, um, I could, but it's just, it's just on a, at the start of a slope. So, so I could, drain. yeah, yeah, yeah you, you, you could put a drain. Yeah, down that's what I was just going to say as well. You could, it yeah. need like I would be looking to try and install, like Penny just said, more drainage. So mm. whether mm. it's a, you don't really need an aggie pipe, you can just do a rubble dra- a rubble drain, that like sort a of old fashioned spoon thing. Drain. Or no, I mean something I would actually like. I mean in the soil. Mm. So mm. oh yeah, you mm. could do that in the on the surface, as Emma's suggesting, a spoon drain. But mm. I'd be looking to try and get water away from that subsurface. So digging down mm. next to it, next to the yep. roots. Next yep. to the root ball, so you're not. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a way of trying to avoid digging it up. That's all. Mm-hmm. Digging down mm-hmm. next to the root ball and running a drain, or or trying to prevent right. some of the water getting to it, and and filling that up with gravel and letting that go somewhere else. To try, just yeah. try and think about ways of draining water away from that area. And well, the other thing be, you can got so. mm, yeah, but I'm just saying that could be done pretty easy because, like I said, it's on the start of a slope, so it slopes away. So you could dig. Um, yeah, I could I could lift the the border out just temporarily and then um, dig down. I could probably do that. Yeah, I'm just thinking I could probably do something like that and, then, yeah, and just then, dig dig the drain and then and then fill the drain full of uh, gravel. Yeah, yep. and then, and then in two years you might yep. have to try and reverse it because suddenly we get drought again. But anyway, <laughs> for the mm. moment it would help. The only yep. other thing I'd suggest is trying a liquid clay breaker, but I wouldn't do that until the summertime, you know, because you don't want right. to be adding more water to the situation when you're already mm-hmm. trying to alleviate yep. Too much water. I, I'd actually, well, I don't know, Emma. Um, not to not to be um, disagreeable, but I would say we we usually use our um, gypsum, and that's another thing I was going to add about at about two kilos per square meter. And I find you can put it in now, but oh, you probably need more than one thing. You probably need something that is actually draining it away. Yeah. And I was going to suggest another method of seeing whether it's soggy down at ground level. You can put a wooden stake in next to the plant, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, kind of move it around, start tap it in and see if it's all squelchy. And if it's really squelchy, oh, yeah. then you've definitely got subsurface drainage issues. Mm. So right. I would use a combination of gypsum uh, yes. every six months, liquid clay breaker or gypsum at a pretty high rate um, yep. every six months for the first two or three years to try and get that plant established. And, yeah, right. sometimes okay. I've dug things up and planted them on a mound. In fact, my whole garden in the northern suburbs I planted on yep. mounds in a way to try and get everything mm. going. And then as the um, drought happened, whatever it happened 15-odd years ago, then I had trouble getting the water into the plants. So, yeah, yeah. fun and games yeah, yeah. climate change. That's, that's yeah. right, that's right. Well, um, all right, well, so when I feed, so basically when I feed the plants, um, when I feed it, give give it a hit of gy- gypsum at the same time. I, I would. I've, I've found, yes. okay, success from that. I mean, Emma might know something that I'm not, that I don't know about that, but... Yep. Um, except everyone right. always has different opinions in gardening, which is good. Yes. <laughs> but, yes. um, yeah, um, having lived right. with that soil a long time, I'd say it's okay to do that, but I think you yep. need something more drastic than just gypsum. Yep, no worries. All right. Um, okay, thanks very much. That gives me a lot of uh, op- options. That's fantastic. Thank you. You're good on you. Thanks. Bye. Well, that was very interesting. And it's always a problem, isn't it? That that run between when we're in drought and when we're not is so extremely and 
But clay is so wonderful for citrus plants if you can make it available. Mm. Like it's so nutrient rich. So, uh, yeah, if you can open it up and make it make the nutrients available to the plant, then that's wonderful. I I love that saying, uh, clay breaks your back, but sand breaks your heart. (laughs) Yes, that's (laughs) good. There's so many good nutrients in clay. (laughs) Yes, and people don't realise that. They they complain because they have a clay soil, but Mm. it is feeding your plants. I love my clay soil. Absolutely. I I grew for 10 years on a sand dune, and that was really heartbreaking. Mm. Now, we've had a, a question from John in Chelsea. Is it time to prune raspberries? Depends on your raspberry. Um, so do you want to answer uh, that? I have a, um, a lovely YouTube video on Karen Sutherland YouTube on pruning raspberries that you can have a good look at. But, yeah, there's uh, some of them might, if you've got summer fruiting raspberries, they might be still providing a little bit of fruit. If you've got um, autumn fruiting raspberries like heritage, the really th- which you'd know because they're as thorny as all get out, then then they're, um, you probably should wait till the leaves completely yellow and all the nutrients go back into the plant and then you can cut them to ground level. But I, I like the uh, summer fruiting ones personally because you get that sort of a funny misnomer because you get them also fruiting in autumn. But those had to be, they have to be pruned in a specific way, which is only removing the canes that have fruited to the ground and then leaving all the new growth, which is a really common problem, common mistake people make with, when they're new berry growers, is removing new growth from thornless blackberries, thornless youngberries, raspberries. Mm. So that new vigorous growth that happens at the time of fruiting, do not prune that. You can tip it back slightly, but that's the growth that's going to fruit next year. Yeah, they fruit on second-year wood. and But there are, to, to complicate matters even more so, there are some varieties, the newer ones, that you can prune back every year and they fruit on on. First year wood, (laughs) which is a common one, is heritage. Yeah. 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 And how would he access your video? Karen Sutherland YouTube. Okay, so that will definitely help. So have a look at Karen Sutherland YouTube and work out whether you've got autumn or summer flowering raspberries, I think. And gooseberries. Do any of you grow gooseberries? Not cold enough where I am. No, sorry. Tasmania. <laughs> I've got gooseberries. Yeah, and people in when I lived in Ballarat, people on on properties around there, they grew really good gooseberries. Mm, but, yeah. Lucky people, they're so tasty. Mm. Mm. Yes, they're wonderful. Well, I've grown them for about five years, and I've had fruit one year, mm. oh. which is a bit disappointing. Yeah. Can, can you do you get them in? I haven't tried growing them. I probably should. Well, I'm going to dig some of mine up, so I will give them to you. (laughs) Oh, that's very generous. Thank you. I think that's a good idea because they're taking up too much space now. Mm. But I've got five. You do not need five gooseberries. And do you find you prune them back every year? I don't, but I should. That's the story of my pruning. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, but I wish I did. It's like the weeding. (laughs) Yes, weeding's exactly the same. Now, has anyone yeah. got another plant that we should address? Um, well, got... I, I mean, lots of people will have these on their trees at the moment, which is tamarillos. Yes. Yay, so tamarillos. I, I just, my, they're magical at the moment and nothing's eating them. And they're like jewels, these bright red jewels hanging, hanging, in, the, hanging in the tree. Um, and the one that I've got at the moment is a red one. Um, and I love them. I actually cut them in half lengthwise and I scoop them out and just eat them. Um, so seeds and all, in case anyone. Yeah, seeds and all for these ones, and um, again, there's a picture. Up, um, I've sent a picture through to Liz, so uh, they'll be up on Facebook. 
Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a it's a tree that lasts for about seven years. It needs a bit of shade and it needs reasonable water, but not heaps of water. So they're, they're actually tougher than you would expect with the big leaves that they have. Mine is a lot older than seven years, but yeah. what I've done is cut it down okay. completely. And, well, that's and, it re- okay. and it's Okay, oh, I've never do tried doing, doing that. Mm. Yeah, no, that's an um, interesting point. I actually preferred the flavour of the yellow one. Do you? Yeah. I like the red. I, it's a, it's I a slightly sweeter one. Mm. But one of the things you do need to be careful with with tamarillo is it gets these funny little stones under the skin in some cultivars so that if you want to eat the skin and really the beginning of the flesh, you end up crunching on these funny little stones that are just under the skin. So Really? I've never ever come across Haven't that. you? Well, no. you've obviously grown ones that don't have stones in them because my, I've had two now that have had stones in them. So... If you're getting a cutting from someone, make sure you try their fruit before you. Um, Absolutely, before you because buy. I've come across it. Mine yeah. doesn't have the stones. I'm pleased yeah. to say, but I've heard about this problem. Now we've got a we've yeah. got a call. We've got a call. Sure, we'll have to be quick. This is Rosemary in Torquay. You'll have to be very quick. Oh no, it's a Rosemary Hedge Laurel. You'll have to be very quick. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, good morning. Quickly. Oh, sorry. Um, Yes, I've had a rosemary hedge growing for about five years and it's always looked beautiful. It's only small, but it's five foot high at least with no attention. But suddenly it's starting to look a bit, uh, it's suffering. Can How can I rejuvenate it? Um, look, the classic things, water, food, um, make sure the drainage is good and prune it. And prune it hard. Yeah. Prune it now. Um, uh, yeah, yes. You'll yeah. prune off your flowers, but yes. Yes. Yeah, How much I mean, would I take it down, do you think? Because it is quite woody, of course, having never been properly pruned. Okay. I Look, you, yeah. rosemary will sometimes come back from wood that has no leaves on it, but usually you need yeah. to leave a, a few leaves um, for yep. it to come back properly. So don't okay. do not do the whole lot too hard. Yeah. I'd be more tempted to prune in early spring too. Yeah, okay. Karen's saying early spring. And I, to some extent, that, yeah, that's mm. what I was going to suggest too. But um, oh, good. Yeah, so maybe wait till the end of winter so that you're not is, getting. Um, horse, is manure good enough food for it at this stage? Does it need anything stronger? Um, you're in Torquay, so I presume you're on sandy soil. It won't need a no, lot. No, 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 quite the opposite. In fact, so just like what you were talking about with solid yeah, well, clay and it, no topsoil. It won't need it. I'm afraid we're going to have to go, Laurel. Okay. All right, thank you. Good luck. Yes, I don't think I would be. Um, feeding rosemary particularly what do you think um well look rosemary is is um it doesn't usually need a lot of food but if you've got rosemary that is struggling maybe it, it maybe it's used worth a try. up the nutrient that's in the soil and it's not it's not it won't do it any harm particularly after you've pruned it well when we mm. have we have to go now everybody thank you very much for listening to us and we'll, and next week you'll have chloe cheers bye bye, bye.